Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You'll take out those notes during your weekly bulletin. They're going to aid us this morning as we, we walk through Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. And our, our theme, our thesis this morning is we're going to just unpack, hopefully bring some clarity to what this passage means and Paul's writing of it. And 8 through 20 is, going to, is, uh, is Paul's pastoral concern. Up to this point, uh, Paul's been extremely uh, hard on the Galatians uh, as uh, as we've read through this, he, he opens up the letter with, uh, yes, a greeting in a sense of a, just a form, formalized letter greeting with no commendation, uh, with uh, no warm uh, sentiments or uh, encouragements as he opens up. He, in verse 6, tells them how astonished he is at them, uh, how they are deserters of Christ. Uh, he then continues on to uh, bring uh, Con, uh, condemnation toward them as far as in verse 8 of chapter 1 about their behavior. Uh, he moves then from there, even his illustration that he spent some time calling out Peter in, in um, uh, chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. He begins chapter 3 by calling them foolish, both in, both in verse 1 of chapter 3 and then again in verse 3 of chapter 3. He says that they've been bewitched in chapter one of uh, or chapter 3, verse 1. And so again and again and again, Paul's Tone has been one of difficulty with the Galatians, one that's been very hard upon them. And yet, what do we know about the Apostle Paul? And having read the full letter, is that Paul's heart throughout was bleeding for these Galatians. Uh, he was hurting. He had tremendous concern. And even as we wrap up verse 20 of the section we're reading, he says to them, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. But yet, I can't. I'm not with you. Um, uh, I can't change my tone. And I'm perplexed about you. Very pastoral as, he, as he's been moving. So in this passage, what I really love about it, and even where we're going to be heading this morning, is that Paul's still deeply theological, but yet you see him being more pastoral and more personal with them, that he's going to share then about his relationship with them and their relationship with God and how he met them, how he ministered to them. And so a very, very pastoral message. But in this pastoral message, uh, I feel deeply related to the Apostle Paul at this moment. Uh, even some of the things that we've tra- traversed over the last 18 months to two years um, of ministry here has not been easy. It's not been uh, uh, seamless. It's not been without uh, concern on my part or, or without many, many nights where I've laid perplexed in my bed, trying to figure out what is going on and feeling like the Apostle Paul in verse 16. Have I then become enemies by telling people the truth? And so I I relate to the Apostle Paul. And this passage isn't clearly about me, nor is this passage about you. This passage is about uh, the Galatians and the Lord Jesus and their relationship. But I do believe there are some on-ramps for us to be able to relate to them and to uh, be encouraged by them and be challenged by them as well. And so some of the things that we want to see here just by way of introduction is uh, this very, very pastoral message from the Apostle Paul. 
And in this pastoral message, he speaks to the danger of religion. And we're hopefully going to pull it out, tie it out. But uh, for us who live in the Bible Belt, where as much as religiously this is the right thing, it's just culturally the thing that we do on Sunday mornings. For those who, are, who go to church, go to gatherings, uh, how absolutely dangerous this moment in time can be uh, and 10, 30, 11 o'clock, all over Southern Baptist churches, how unbelievably dangerous that can be. Now, for those of you who are here that are going, well, man, I should have just stayed at home and slept in bed, and, and it wouldn't be hopefully near as dangerous. Well, I'm not saying that that place isn't dangerous as well, uh, but I am trying to communicate that just because we're here and we've, we've gotten up and we've gotten dressed and we've made our way here doesn't mean we're, we're, we're worshiping God this morning. And that's the exact same thing Apostle Paul is going to be challenging them uh, at that particular time. And in that, this is one of the reasons why, uh, in my own history of coming to Cherokee, why there was a hesitancy to come here. Now, that didn't have anything to do with Cherokee. Uh, it had to do with any church here in the Bible Belt. My passion and heartbeat before becoming a senior pastor, before I feel like God called me to pastoral ministry to begin shepherding a, a particular flock when I was serving on staff at another church, was, and I wanted to go where the gospel wasn't as well known. I want to go to a place where, maybe I couldn't say with the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 15, I want to go to a place where the gospel hasn't been proclaimed because it had been, uh, all over the United States had been proclaimed, so it's not this continent hadn't been reached. However, where there wasn't a Bible, there wasn't a church on every corner. But yet now, over the last, over eight years of serving right here in this pulpit, I've seen the absolute necessity of Bible proclamation and truth speaking from the scriptures because of that same point. Is that just because there's a Bible, uh, there's a Bible church or there's a, um, a church in every corner doesn't mean that they're proclaiming the gospel. They're teaching things the way the Bible says. It doesn't, it's not necessarily, it means it's being spelled out. And I'm not saying that every church on, on the corner, on every corner is bad, but I can say this, that there it can be a, a mindset where, man, I'm, God must be pleased with me because I showed up today. And I think there's a variety of churches that are encouraging that mindset um, because of a lack of proper teaching in the Scripture. And so I'm very, very grateful for, uh, for even God's will and His plan in my own life. And then, so for that, for, um, as we walk through, we're going to look at the pastoral message. We're going to begin to look at the danger of religion that, um, and the necessity for us to be able to come here. And that it may reveal our real purpose in being here this morning. So that'd be a, a, a third thing or fourth thing for us to look at is a, a reveal real purpose. And why are we here this morning? And are we like the Galatians where we sometimes can, can, can pose myself or Pastor Tim or anyone else who would be behind the sacred desk as an enemy because we speak the truth? And if so, what does that reveal about our hearts if we're not willing to be in compliance with the scripture? And then lastly, as we Paul addresses defectors, I want to be able to share my own concern for defectors who have left uh, our gatherings, and, and not that all who have left are defectors, but clearly there have been those who have left due to a lack of allegiance uh, with the things of God, and it's much easier to go someplace else where the gospel will not be proclaimed as clearly. And so that's the, the heart of this passage, that is a, and I believe really likens to my own heart uh, as a pastor. And so two things we want to be able to unpack, hopefully, in our time this morning, and I'll do my best to finish and finish on time. Two major things I think this passage is broken down into. Verses 8 through 11 speaks of Paul's concern for the Galatians regarding their relationship with God. Paul's concern for the Galatians' relationship with God. 
And then in verses 12 through 20, we're going to see Paul's concern for the Galatians' relationship with him. So now in that, don't think that Paul is self-serving. Uh, but if Paul's the one who's carrying a clear biblical gospel, then yes, there's relationship to him is important if everyone else who is speaking in their life is not perpetuating or, or solidifying or confirming a biblical gospel. And so we want to be able to begin to look through those one at a time. So Paul's pastoral concern, his concern first, let's look at their, Paul's concern uh, for the Galatians' relationship with God. And we're going to see two things. We're going to see their past in verses 8 through 9, and then the present, their present circumstance, their present situation. So let's look at their past. Verse 8 9, it says this, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Now, let's first look at their relationship, uh, their lack of relationship with God in the past. It speaks of demon worship. Demon worship. That's what it says in verse 8 when it says that you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. That can be kind of difficult to be able to understand. You'd be able to say, well, doesn't the Bible say there aren't other gods? And yes, even Paul wrestles with this communication as he says, yes, they're, they're not gods. If you... Uh, if you just want to write this down, you don't have to turn there. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul addresses this very thing to the church in Corinth, which was clearly uh, familiar with pagan and pagan, uh, paganism and pagan worship. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 4. Therefore, as to eating, food, eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us there is one God, the, the Father, from whom, all, whom are all things and from whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. And so Paul's going to say, hey, I know there's idol worship out there. And many of you are, may have um, worshipped at these idols. But we know those, those idols are, are, they have no real existence. They're just figures made by man, carved out of wood or or a variety of metals, and you're going to go worship theirs, but they, they can't minister to you. They can't serve you. They have no real existence. But there, we know that there's one God, right? And that one God is the, uh, our God the Father, from whom all things, uh, whom are all things, and from whom we exist, and the Lord Jesus Christ, from, uh, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. And so he begins to map out to them that, yes, these gods that you were serving aren't gods at all. But if they're not God, gods, then what are they? Well, then 1 Corinthians 10 begins to help us understand that in verse 19 and 20. He says, What do I imply then, that food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons, he says. And so here's the reality. He says, well, first of all, we know idols don't exist. And that there's no, they're not God, there's not but one God. And so let's just define clearly what is a God. And there is only one. It's the triune God that we serve. And so if you're, you're, you're worshiping then something that isn't a God or the little gods and lords of this world, the gods that we make, right? They're not the God that is, but the gods that we would want to bow down and worship to. Then what are they if they don't exist? And he says, and the reality is they're a, they're a smokescreen, or they're the first layer of what really is taking place, and that is demonic worship. They're actually demons, demons that you are worshiping, and they all are a part of the world system and 
and Satan or Lucifer who is ultimately in control uh, above and over them. And so the reality here is he's communicating to them is that these gods you worship to formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to these so-called gods. And these so-called gods at that particular time are demons. That should be pretty overwhelming when we begin to think and we tie this whole t- entire passage together in light of what's about to be said in just a few moments. Just hold that thought and we're going to move there in, in a minute. But then the great news is, is that despite the fact, the, pa- the fact that in the past, in their past, there was demon worship, it was transformed by Christ. It led them to delightful worship. So where it was demon worship before, it was now delightful worship in God. Verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to these weak and worthless elementary principles? All right, so immediately he then begins to transition and says, but now you've come to know God, right? You've come to know that demon worship isn't what you should be doing or false pagan worship isn't what you should be doing. And I love this as he, you see Paul addressing this in other passages. Listen to this, the transformation that had taken place maybe at the third church of Thessalonica. First uh, Thessalonians 1, 2 through 10. You don't have to turn there. Just write those down and you can listen to me as I read it aloud. First Thessalonians 1, 2 through 10. Paul's going to give an example of the Thessalonians, Thessalonians that have now turned from idol worship, from pagan worship to turning to the one true God. He says this. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mention you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you and for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And so the the church in Thessalonica, he says, man, not only have we heard about it, we've seen it, but we hear from every location that you guys are in love with God, that you used to serve pagan idols, used to, to serve demons, as the passage would communicate, and other passages, Second Corinthians would communicate to us. But he said, but, it didn't, but you didn't stop, you didn't just stay there. Man, you begin to, to love and to serve God, and you begin to, um, in this particular time, it says that you, you turned from serving those, uh, turn to God from the idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. That deliverance from the wrath to come is what leads us to delightful worship. The mindset that, man, we were, we were resisting God and we were God's enemies and we were children of wrath, sons of disobedience. We were of the uh, prince of the power of the air following the course of this world. But God, who is rich in mercy, is the one who saved us. And we can delightfully worship in him. And so this is exactly what he's wanting to, he wants to say here to them. He says, but listen, but now you've come to know God. Now in this, listen to this, this, is what I love about the Apostle Paul. The moment he begins to commend them, the whole letter here is cautioning them about self-righteousness, right? Not turning to the law and turning to their own works to merit their own salvation. And so even in this passage, Paul's not going to give them any ground. I love in, in, uh, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 5, as he's talking about this battle with the Judaizers before, he says this statement, 
to them, the Judaizers, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. He said, I'm always going to give up a single argument to these, these Judaizers. Man, I, as he says here, man, I'm not going to yield at all in submission, even for a second. Because why? I want to preserve the gospel. And so even in this, as he's trying to commend them about this delightful worship that came out of paganism, came out of demon worship, he says, but now that you have come to know God, and then he, he says, well, hold on a minute. I don't want you to think start getting puffed up that it was something you've done in order to come to know God. Did you come to know God? Sure you did. But it was because of your works that you came to know God? No. And that's what he says here. Or rather, to be known by God. I don't, want, I don't want you guys to begin to think it's something you did that now you know God and you love God. It wasn't about any works of your own that this happened. This was, this was a result of God's grace in you and toward you. And so he's going to remove boasting. And this is really important for us as we begin to think this and even begin to resist a little bit of our culture that culturally would say, well, listen, it's about decisions, and it's about invitations, it's about you responding. And yes, there is a response, but if God doesn't first draw us, we're not going to respond to him. I mean, it's exactly what the scripture says. Not that we loved God, but that he first loved us and sent his son to be a sacrifice on our behalf. To be propitiation for our sins. Like, he doesn't forgive us on the basis that we, we work toward him or that we sought him. The Bible says that no one does good. No one seeks God, Romans chapter 3. And this, this not only us attempting to know God, but God knowing us is really important. Because this is the language the Bible uses throughout. Listen to Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone, this is Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, so there's an orthodoxy there for calling Jesus by his rightful name, that he is Lord of all creation. But not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Hey, didn't we work for you? I mean, look at all the stuff that we do. We get up and we go to church and we teach Sunday school and we give and we, we give our gifts to the church and we, we serve in a variety of other ways. I mean, look at all the stuff we do. And there's a lot of people, God, who are sleeping right now. They're getting ready for a football game that's going to start. A, the, the divisional playoffs for the NFL. Man, it's coming on in just a few minutes. There's basketball going to be on TV. There's, there's movies or there's things I could be watching on on Amazon Prime or a variety of other things, Netflix. I could be watching things on television, get caught up on, on entire series that I've missed. But no, I'm here, Lord. Look what I've done for you. Does that impress the Lord at all? Not if you're trusting those things for your salvation. So what he says, and then I will declare to them, those who do a lot of works, I never knew you. It's one thing to say, I know God. There's a lot of people claim to know God. It's another thing that God claims to know you. That's why for us, it's, listen to me as a, as a pastor and a pastoral concern. Us asking you to sign a covenant is not some way to manipulate you. Or to exercise authority over you. Listen to me. It is a means by which there is clarity on your part that you Buy in to the things that we're teaching because we believe they to be biblical. And a means by which us, who sit on the other side of the table, who will be held accountable by God for your souls. That's what Hebrews 13 teaches. You think sitting in these seats that Pastor Tim and I sit in and other elders who we're beginning to walk through that we want to 
aid us and encouraging to shepherd your souls is an easy thing to, man, this is a, 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 a luxurious lifestyle. Man, you're, you're deeply mistaken. Listen, I begin to understand more and more what the Paul, say, Paul says when he communicates, man, and all the anxiety I have for the churches. What is this anxiety Paul has? He wants Christ to be formed in them. And they can't come to know Christ, and they can't have Christ formed in them if they don't know the Bible. And so, hear me say, this isn't an attempt to be able to say, you know what our document says, and you must submit to us. Well, sure, that's in the Scriptures. But that's in the Scriptures whether we put it in a document or not. All we're trying to encourage you to do with the covenant that we're asking you to sign is that even if you don't agree to do this here, the Bible holds you accountable to do this somewhere. So you're not going to get out from doing this and being held accountable by God to do this. That's why we wanted to make it extremely biblical. But we wanted to say, we are held accountable by God to encourage you in this walk, and you are being held accountable by God to, to do this walk. And so why don't we just do it together and let's all agree to say what the, what the Bible already says. That's all we're asking in this time of meeting. And so we welcome you. Bring your questions because we want to answer them as much, best we can. Bring your concerns because we want to answer them because here I say, we've also got questions. We also would love to change our tone. And we also, and, and with, with some, are perplexed. How do you say you love God? And not desire to be with the body. How do you say you love God and not want to talk to him through prayer? How do you say you love God and live your life completely anxious all the time? How do you say you love God and not want to read his word? I'm perplexed. That's not what I know. And not just because I'm a pastor. Before I was a pastor. That's why I became a pastor. I just continue to have this drive and this passion for the things of God and the word of God just exploded and it came alive in my life and I just said I just think this is normative for everyone is it not and then I begin to look at the scriptures and go man it is should be and so it's not about whether or not we know God it's about whether or not God knows us and that term I never knew you is an intimate term Speaks of intimacy as if in the old days, and not in its sexual tense, but this is what it meant in the old days, is that Adam did not know his wife. That's why they didn't have any children. But then he knew his wife, and therefore they had Cain or Abel. It speaks of an intimacy. Now, we understand that it's, this is deeper than this sexual, but at the same time, when we understand sexual Intimacy is what leads to a deeper intimacy. That's why the Bible says that we should not withhold from one another, except for seasons of prayer and fasting. Why? Because it's an intimacy that God alone has brought through that means for us to know one another and then to know Him through those relationships as well. But then even in that, here's the reality for us to be able to understand is that there's a deeper intimacy. And this is exactly what He's speaking of here. And so, but why would we know Him? It's because He first knew us. And so this, this desire that Paul has, isn't it that they shouldn't boast in themselves? This is exactly what the letter's about, but it's something that Paul has addressed again and again. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 8. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward, toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. See? I'm grateful this has happened to you, but this isn't something you've done. It is the gift of God. 
not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Let's just continue to look through again and again and again. Paul's encouragement says, even when your, your worship went from demonic worship, demon worship, to delightful worship, it's not in and of yourself. It wasn't because of you that this has happened. Yes, did you respond by repenting of your sin and placing your faith and trust in Jesus by confessing Jesus as Lord and believing that God raised him from the dead? Yes, you did that. But you know why you did that? It's because God, who is rich in mercy, poured forth his Holy Spirit upon us and saved us so that we could cry out, Abba, Father, and receive the Spirit of the Son through adoption. This is all that Paul's been teaching. So even in this, this is just the past that they've walked through. Now, it needed to be said, it needed to be unpacked with that much um, clarity because of what he's about to say in the present. So his, his concern for the relationship uh, that, that the Galatians had with God first spoke of their past. Their past was demon worship. We need to understand that. And it moved from demon worship to delightful worship, where it was that they didn't know God, but they came to know God, but not that they knew God, but that God knew them, right? But then listen to what he says here. Listen to the present, his concern for them in the present. He had a concern for them in the past that led to their salvation, but now their past moves to the present, and look at his concern now in the present. His present is that there would be their danger of returning. Their danger of returning. Returning to what, Pastor? Well, what does it say here? Let's read along with me. But now that you've come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Now, if they were serving idols... It doesn't lead to the fact that they were Judaizers, does it not? It's not saying that, they, hey, man, these were Judaizers, and, and now all of a sudden they are going back to Judaism. These were pagans. As it's thought to have been Galatians chapter 2, these guys didn't have the law. So how are they, who are Gentiles, going to act like Jews when we Jews were acting like Gentiles? We were coming to you without the law. So why are we going to encourage you to take the law? They didn't have the law. So what is he communicating here? Let's keep it in context. I want to make sure you, you don't miss me here in what I'm about to say. What is the argument? The argument is that they, Judaizers have come in and want them to now begin to adopt the, law, the laws of Judaism, circumcision and all the other the, uh, ceremonial laws and ritualistic laws that were tied to the old system, the old covenant. Now listen to what Paul says here. Now this is why when I spoke to you earlier about, man, the concern for religion and the concern for how dangerous even what we do in this room right now. Listen to how Paul's going to tie this. Paul says their danger of returning to pagan worship. Now you think, well, wait a minute. What do you mean pagan worship? They're not serving idols anymore. They're, they're taking on Judaism. Yes, I know. So, hold on a minute. So, Pastor, you're saying Paul's equating Judaism with pagan worship. Yes. So are, you, hold on, so are you telling me then that Judaism is of the devil? No, I'm not telling you that. And I'm not even saying Paul's telling them that. It's not at all what I'm saying. So what are you saying? This is what I'm saying. It's exactly what, what Paul said in Romans chapter 10, speaking of the, uh, the Jews, uh, his fellow kinsmen. This is what he says. Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Brothers... My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Now, who is they? Israel. So what Romans 10 is about. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, Israel, is that they may be saved. For I bear, wit- bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. There's a passion they have for God. It's like 
Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do various signs and wonders in your name? Didn't we do all this stuff for you? Didn't we show up on Sunday morning for worship and show up for small groups and give to the church and go on mission trips? And did we do all this stuff? Don't, shouldn't you be pleased with us? We've had a zeal for you. Listen to what Paul says. If I bear them witness, they have a zeal for God. And they're trying to keep the laws of Judaism. But not according to knowledge. Oh, they have a zeal for God, but not according to the knowledge that I've revealed myself to them. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Do you hear that? Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so here's the issue here. Paul's equating Judaism to being no different to the vain, paganistic, demonic worship that they were participating in before because they, like the Jews in Romans chapter 10, were attempting to seek to establish their own righteousness apart from Christ. This is why then in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if Christ, righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. What are you doing? Why are you tying your identity and your righteousness to the law? It wasn't even designed for that purpose. That's why the law is not of demons or is demonic, but how you're using it is. That's no different than these, these little creatures, and these little people and these little idols that you're making that are made out of wood and, and stubble or wood and, um, and uh, gold. They're just being carved by hands and you're trying to seek righteousness and seek favor with a supposed God that isn't any God at all. He says, by the same manner, if you're seeking righteousness through the law, that's the same system that you just came out of. And so the caution for you and I this morning is the same thing. Be careful. When we come to our gatherings and you're just here to get it over with. There's other things you'd rather do. You're not, you're, you're not interested in the word of God. You may be here for relationships. You may be here because you feel condemned if you don't show up. You might be here for a variety of reasons. Think you're trying to earn merit. You may not equate it to that, but you feel bad when you don't come. People are gonna, maybe you're pleased, people pleasers, or maybe this is what you've been taught your whole life. And so you've always, you grew up in church and so you've been attending churches and this is what you think you should be able to do. But if your goal isn't to know God more this morning, my question is, why are you here? Now, I'm glad you're here. Even for a complete pagan who's here and says, or an unsaved person who says, I don't know God, and I was brought here by a friend, I was invited here, I just want to see what you people do on Sunday mornings. And so here's what we do. We study the word of God that was revealed to us so that we can know the God of the word. And so, yes, I would understand why you're not really excited about the things that are taking place here when the vast majority of our time we're spending studying the word. And why then there would be tremendous concern. Man, we want all these other things because the word's not sufficient. I agree with the Apostle Paul. I'm perplexed about you if, that's, if I just described you in those statements. I'm perplexed. And I wish I could change my tone. But I can't. Because I will forever be perplexed at you if that's you. Here, where it is harder 
right, 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 we're, we're, we've kind of stripped this thing down. It's not as, as easy here as you could go to other places, and they just provide everything for you. You walk in, they give you a latte, right, and they give you hand sanitizer and a breath mints, and you just walk right into your class, and they have danishes and a variety of other things, and it's just this beautiful time and together, and you just talk about how you feel and what the, the passage means to you, and, and then you walk away, and everybody feels kind of happy. Do you know what's wrong with that? It's not about that. And there's nothing wrong with a latte and breath mints and, and danishes and, and all those things. Those things are great. But when the heart of the matter is, are we growing in Christ? Because this world is broken, sinful, busted. And the only way it makes sense in marriages and relationships and, and, and eternity is in the eyes of the one who created it. And the only way to know that is just to get in this book and try to weed through all the poor things that we've been taught and all the bad teachings that we've received and all the bad teachings that you've received even from me over the past eight years that we're trying to muddle through, right? So that why? We could know God and even greater that God would know us. And not only that, listen to this. This is beautiful. You begin to look through passages. And in the scriptures, it, it says this, that even a demon, a guy was trying to cast out a demon. And the demon responded to the guy and says, hey, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. But who are you? Right? That God would so work in us, that we'd be conformed to look like Christ in such a manner that the demons would take notice of Christ in us, that they would know our human name, right? Our given name. They would know Kevin Edmonds. Not because of who I am, but just like the Apostle Paul, of Christ in me. And why wouldn't we think that we should stand out from the world? And even stand out from the Bible Belt? This is what Paul's concern for them is. Their danger of returning to demonic worship. And so the law is not demonic, but can be misused for demonic purposes, if we're trying to establish our own righteousness through it, rather than using, using its true purpose, which is to make our sin exceedingly sinful so that we would turn to Christ and trust Him, which was our, uh, our, the reality of what the schoolmaster was there for. Now, how do we know that to be the case? Well, in this particular passage, what it says, verse um, 10, he continues to bring clarity. You observe days and months and seasons and years. Now, what does that mean? What well, can mean just the elementary, rudimentary principles of the, of the earth, right? But as I mentioned before, I think it, it leads to what Paul was saying when he addressed the Jews who were under the law. And he addressed those same things. We were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And he was addressing in the same way we also, speaking of Jews, who were given the law. But now he's addressing them. And he, I think he brings it back up by using these same terminologies. What's the whole purpose of the letter? They're turning back. They're turning to Judaism where they never were. Judaizers, and he says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean it's this, but I think that's what it means. And why? by that, I think it means when he speaks of days, it means the Sabbath day or festival days or even the Day of Atonement. We don't have to honor the Day of Atonement anymore because why? Well, we don't have to keep bringing sacrifices on that day. I don't have to remember when that day is in the Jewish calendar because why? Jesus fulfilled it. I'm looking to him. I'm not looking to that day. Is it wrong to know that day? No. But I'm not going to honor that day like it's, I need to bring a sacrifice to God. Because why? God already brought a sacrifice to himself. It was his son. 
And so I'm looking to Christ. And so days, months, may re- it's kind of difficult to understand what months mean here, but it may refer to the new moon festivals. And I'll read a passage out of Colossians that might bring some clarity to that, but it might mean that. Seasons could speak of Jewish festivals like the Festival of Unleavened Bread, and then years could speak to things like the sabbatical year that was taken for them or the year of Jubilee. And so in this, why are you trying to observe to do the days and the months and the seasons and the years when that's not what you've been called to do. You've been called to know and to live in Christ. Now, what's this? Paul addresses this in another letter to the letter uh, that he gave to the church of Colossae. Look what he says here in Colossians chapter 2, 16 through 23. He says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Right? So some of the same terminologies he's used in Galatians. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism, which means living in poverty, or worship of angels, or going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourishing it together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. He says, listen, don't get all tied up in days and weeks and moons and moon, uh, um, uh, new moon and festivals and Sabbath days, or to think that you need to be poor in order to be godly, uh, or to worship of angels, or going on details about some vision they got, like, um, like these crazy movies that are out there now, like um, Heaven is for Real. I mean, don't get all caught up in all that garbage. Is it helping you to know Jesus? Or to glorify some man? And by the way, this is a vision that these little kids keep seeing when they see Jesus out of these movies. The same vision you see in the Bible when people see heaven, or when the people see Jesus. John the Beloved on the Isle of Patmos. Did Jesus come up to John the Beloved and say, Now listen, John. And he knew John, right? I hear I want you to come up here and I want you to climb up in my lap and I'm going to tell you a story. Right? It's like these books talk about. Oh, Jesus just brought us up on my lap and I sat in his lap and he just encouraged me. What are the visions? There's at least four in the New Test or in the in the in the Bible. From Isaiah to Ezekiel to John. You begin to look through. You know what all of them speak of? The holiness of God and the fear that's associated because each of them were a sinner. That's the only visions we have from the Bible. Only, only time when they, were, they encountered heaven and the responses that, were, that, we, that they received was unlike anything you find in these books. And so, as, as Colossians warned us, I mean, be careful about those who go on in detail about these visions they have, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. Could it be that they want to sell books for money? Could it be that they want to now sell the rights to this book for a movie? Could it be they're charlatans? And as you've seen, that even the mother and the son came back and say that the dad misled them in many of those things. Right? Just give it time. That's why. The pastor who can be perplexed. Why do we buy this stuff? Why don't we get all caught up in things that don't matter and you find the Bible boring? I don't know what to do with that. I'm not trying to make it boring. I get it. I talk a lot, right? I talk a lot on my phone. If I've ever left you a message, I've probably left you a two-minute message. I just talk a lot, right? My wife is like heaving by laughter on the front row here, right? That's me. But the topic that I talk about should not be boring even if I am. Because if the Spirit of God is in you, 
The spirit of the son who brings forth adoption doesn't get you fired up. I don't know what will. Because I could entertain you and sing you sweet lullabies straight into hell. It's easy to do. We can be event planners for you. But when we look at the scripture, that's not what God's called us to do when we elder, when we shepherd. We could have had a, we've shared this in numerous meetings we've had about our covenant and signing it. You know how easy it would have been just to put a table up here, even after the day that we voted the covenant and 97% got voted in. We could have a table up here and said, hey, why don't you guys come up here and sign the covenant right now? And easy. We could put some kind of pressure on you. Have you come up here and sign it in the middle of a service or after a service where everybody's watching? Who's going to sign it? Who's not going to sign it? You come up here and just make up a name, John Hancock. And they're like, I didn't know John Hancock was a member of this church. Right? We could have done a service like that. Then why is Pastor Tim and I wanting to meet with every member individually? Why? Because I think we want to do what the Bible has commanded us to do, to shepherd, to watch after your soul. And you know, there were some members here that are members here that were members here before I became the pastor. And I want to sit down. I want to just talk through. And you've read through the statement of faith. Any questions about that? Clarity, you've been born again. Any questions you have for us? Because why? We want to shepherd you. We, like the Apostle Paul, want to make sure you're not turning, returning to idle pagan worship. And we want to help you walk through this. It's not manipulative. It is what it is. The Bible says what it says. The key is, are we going to do it together? And as much as you need us, listen to me, look at me in the eye. We need you. When you're... When the, Part of the body is hurting or is missing. What does Romans say? The whole body hurts. When one mourns, we all mourn. When one's exalted, we rejoice. So we need one another in this particular time, this, this passage. And so Paul's addressing them. And so he continues on. He says, if if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, once if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Paul says, man, just because people make a bunch of rules doesn't mean those things will help you spiritually. And so Paul's addressed this to the Galatians, but as we just read, Paul's also addressing that same caution to the Colossians. Now, let me just make a point to this real quick as we just try to bring some clarity to this, and then I want us to uh, I want to finish up this one section. I'll probably will stop because I don't want to start the next section and not be able to finish. Here's the question we need to ask then then what about special days, holidays? All right, so he's talking about new moons and, and festivals. I mean, I know he's speak, primarily speaking to the Jewish calendar, and, and clearly he says to that, that would be not a wise thing to do, right? Right, be careful with that. Especially if you're tying that to sanctification or to uh, justification, being declared righteous, that's wrong. That's, that's, that's uh, to be accursed. But is it wrong to celebrate a holiday? Is it wrong then? You know, I was, as I was doing some study, I 
I came across one commentator who was talking about the pilgrims. And when the pilgrims came over, they wouldn't celebrate holidays. Isn't that funny? They begin to look at passages like this where it talks about not, not honoring particular days and months and seasons and years, and so they, don't, they, they wouldn't want to celebrate it. And what do we do after they, sell, they, they made it through that first year? We gave them a holiday, baby. Right? Here we came, and they didn't want to celebrate holidays, and we honor the pilgrims by giving them their own holiday. Right? What's the picture here? Is it, how, did, how did the pilgrims end up there? In this place where it's like, it's bad to be able to do this. And that's because of verses like this. Does the Bible give us any encouragement to, to guard against that? Well, Romans chapter 14 will help us. Look at Romans 14. Romans 14, verses 5 and 6. I'll read it to you. He says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in the honor of the Lord, and the one who eats eats in the honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So the reality in this is what he's saying is that, listen, all days and all foods are clean. All days and all foods are fine. And if you want to honor Christmas, you know what I mean, celebrate Christmas, then celebrate it for the right reasons. Why? How? To the Lord, right? That's what Romans communicated to us. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. So honor the day in that Lord. And the one who eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains from eating abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Here's the reality. Whether or not you're going to celebrate Martin Luther King holiday tomorrow, honor it in the name of the Lord. Honor the holiday. Easter, Christmas, and a variety of other times. Honor it in the Lord. There's nothing wrong with celebrating, but celebrate it in the Lord. Does that make sense? So I want to guard you against these extremes that could be on either side. And so the reality is, there's anything wrong with a holiday. This is what are you doing with the holiday and make sure that even though someone would say, it's pagan, we shouldn't celebrate it. All right, great. Might have pagan origins, right? And so Christmas was surrounded, it's tied to somehow the winter solstice. Okay, but that's not why I celebrate. I don't celebrate the winter solstice, right? I celebrate Jesus and coming to earth. And was he born on December 25th? Probably not. But I don't care. It's the day that we've designated to celebrate Jesus coming to earth, and I'm going to celebrate it with all the gusto I can. Right? Because why? Romans 14 says, I can as long as I do it unto the Lord. Does that make sense? And so, Paul's concern was their past demon worship that led to delightful worship when they came to know Christ, or better yet, Christ came to know them. And then their present was the danger of returning to pagan worship through Judaism. Not the law is bad, but the law can be misused for demonic purposes in and of itself. And so then let me show you the last thing, and then we're going to close for today. Let me show you Paul's, uh, his determination in serving. So there's their danger of returning, and now his determination in serving them in the present. Now, he's not with them, as he says here in verse 20. He says, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone from perplexed about you. But he's not with them now. But Paul's taking time to dictate a letter that he'll eventually write the closing paragraphs on for a purpose. Now, I'll share more about that next week, about dictated letter that he's going to share the closing paragraphs on in, in next week. But I want to show you his concern for them. Look at verse 11. He says, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. I'm really concerned about you guys. I've preached and I've preached and I've preached. i lived amongst you. I've taught you. I've tried to teach you. I've tried to model before you what to do. And I'm afraid it's all for naught. It's all null and void. Now, does Paul not understand the sovereignty of God in salvation? Absolutely. But he also understands in the sovereignty of God, God uses us as instruments. 
I would encourage you to try to find a place in the Scriptures where the angel would preach the gospel. These are messengers, right? Try to bring to me a time in the Bible where it's clearly, it's explicitly said that an angel preaches the gospel of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Now you can say, well, in Matthew, they talked about the, or in Luke, the angels, and they began to talk about the Messiah coming to earth, and it was the good news, and the good news means gospel, and so there's, I mean the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Hard-pressed to find it, because why? God's given us that job. That's our responsibility. Preach the gospel. So Paul gets it. God saves, but I'm the proclaimer of the message that God uses to save. And he goes, I'm afraid. All this labor in you and over you is in vain. Why? Because of their present circumstances. And at times, that can be this pastor's fear as well. When our our passion is, man, pastor, give us more activities. Give us more services, things that would serve us. Give us more programs, things that we do together. And hear me, I don't think activities are dishonoring to God. I don't think... Uh, services and means by which we serve the community or or, or a disservice to God or somehow demonic in in worship. I don't think programs, a variety of things that we would do would be. But here's the reality. If we do those things, and and Pastor Tim and I use a bulk of our time establishing and setting those things up, even setting up structures and systems to carry out those things, we can hide behind those things and never, never even focus on our relationship with God. Do we want more things? Sure. But at the same time, are we doing the things that we're currently doing well to even add more things to what we're currently doing? Would be the question. Effectiveness and efficiency. But then is it a help to us? I remember there was a major event when I was at First Wichita that we would do together. Church-wide event. Tens of thousands of dollars were invested in doing this event together. And the masses came out. Other churches would show up in major buses and would pull into the parking lot. And there was tens of thousands of people that would show up to this event. And so somebody said, well, hey, let's look and see how many people have become born again that can say they have a direct on-ramp to salvation through this event. And an event that probably had I don't know, let's say roughly fifteen to 20,000 people. They could find five salvations. What do you mean by that? What do you, why, why are you bringing this up? Trying to belittle that? Absolutely not. I'm just trying to bring it to our present circumstance, present circumstance situation. What if we had five church members who would be willing to share the gospel regularly and see what God could do with that? And not all the programs that are associated with it. You tracking with me? So it's not sin to have programs. We, Pastor Sam, nor I, have never said it was sin. But our, is that the best goal? That's why we say the best goal isn't just inviting people to church to hear one person preach the gospel. And we may not be on that day. Right? You have told us. You've come to Pastor Tim and I have said, hey man, make sure. I'm pretty sure you're always going to preach the gospel. But make sure you kind of incorporate it into the message. Because I've got a lost friend coming to the message. And I love to hear that. Always tell us when, you, when that happens. When you're inviting people. Is that the best mode? 
No. The best mode is let's go carry the gospel to the, to the nations. People will tell me our church methodology should be come and, come and see, come and see, come and see. And they'll quote John chapter 1 where Philip and Andrew went and said, hey, come and see. And they quote that as a Bible reference. That would be the case. That was when Jesus was on the planet. Yeah, you could come see him. He was right there in the flesh. Is he right there on the flesh now? Well, in a way, yes, he's in us, his spirit's in us, but physically, no, he's in heaven. So what's the message now? It's not come and see, and we're not trying to get everybody to come here to hear the gospel and get saved. What does Matthew chapter 28 tell us? Go and tell. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. It's not a come and see mentality. We're not the temple of God. As far as this building, this is the temple of God, and then God goes wherever I go. And so, yes, I'm going to tell. Because why? Christ is in me. And so my goal is to, our goal is to focus on your relationship with Christ. That yes, if all of us were obeying the one another commands that we've taught through and have been walking, walking through, then yes, we would see the word of God increase. And when the word of God increases, people get saved. And that's what we spend most of our efforts and energy on rather than being the church that can provide the best latte with the mint and the, and the quiches and the and the Danishes, so that people were attracted to us. They will only be attracted to us as long as we give them what they want. And here's what you know about the reality. When they come in here this long-winded preacher preach the truth, here's what's going to happen. Verse 16, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Yes, I will. Because why? At their core, they don't love or want Jesus. And that's false concern for the Galatians. Yeah, your past was demon worship. And you were transformed to delightful worship in him. But your present is, I'm concerned, there's a danger of you returning. And in the danger of that returning, I want to show you my determination in serving you by the word of God again and again and again. Hey, listen, there's no silver bullets in the Christian walk. But I'll tell you this, there's one thing and only one thing I have to offer you. One thing and only one thing I have to offer you. What is that one thing, Pastor? The Word of God. That's all I got. And so I'm going to stay as closely related to it as I possibly can. And you can say, I wish you told more stories and told more funny jokes and sang songs and read poems and, and used more illustrations. That's fine. But none of those things, none of them, transform hearts and lives and take dead men and make them alive. Only the Word of God can do that. And so I believe it's to my best benefit regardless of delivery, to stay as closely related to the word as I possibly can. And that's why we do the things we do. That's why Paul was doing the things he does. And so, invitation is this. Have you and I slipped into demonic worship? Even though we're not at a temple, a Hindu temple, with little golden statues before us, but have we somehow slipped into demonic worship by showing up here thinking, Somehow we're appeasing God or pleasing God by our behavior, by our works, by our deeds. You don't please God that way. You please God by faith. And is faith then correlated and and works, uh, faith demonstrated by works? Absolutely. But not works in themselves, the faith that carries the work to its completed end. And so are you trusting God alone for salvation this morning? And if you are, praise the Lord. Are we sharing that with others? Because I know there's a multitude of people who are not. 
third prong to our invitation is this. How would it change that we begin to carry out the one another commands? First, carry out the one another commands first in our homes, in our relationships, before we would ask. Nobody's asked, so I'm not, I'm not grinding any axes here, okay? Let's be clear. It's been weeks, so nobody's asking for anything. Here's what I'm saying. Before we ask for more programs and more activities, what if we first started doing the one another commands that God's commanded each of us to do? And then see if there is any time left over for us to add more, more activities here on campus. Just, just a question. Just a question. Now, like I said, nobody's asked. I'm not, I'm not grinding any axes. I'm not trying to poke any bears this morning, right? But just as a pastoral heart concern, my goal is you would obey the Lord here at our gathering and beyond. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your grace. I thank you for Paul and your spirit's work in his life to see an entire region transformed because of the gospel. And then, Lord, his pastoral heart to continue to pursue them. Even when he's rejected by them and you're rejected by them, he still, because of your love that you place within him, pursues them unto righteousness. I thank you for his determination in serving, and I pray, Lord, that the variety in this room who have been determined here to remain steadfast in serving you first and foremost in this body. I thank you for them. Lord, you know who they are. And I pray, Father, that you would do a deep work, some unto salvation this morning, others unto sanctification. And then, Lord, for others who would come to salvation through our lips, through our words. Not that we have the power to save, but you through us. And so I pray you'd help us that, yes, now we're the church gathered, that in moments when we're the church scattered, that, Lord, you would use us to see your kingdom extended and expanded. And, Lord, for a variety of needs that may not have been addressed because in light of this sermon, I pray, Father, that you would work and move in their hearts and lives for your honor and for your glory. Show yourself strong on their behalf that, yes, when they cry out to you, you answer and deliver them that you might get great glory, as your word says. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.